It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. I still cannot believe that it is happening this week. And of course, if the Eagles are going to the Super Bowl, fantasy season is long, long gone, right? Oh, no, no, no. Not at DraftKings. The fantasy football season never stops there. So while the season-long league is long gone and we are sitting there kicking back, drinking beers, and rooting on the birds, it is not too late to draft a new fantasy football team and win money while doing it. Check out the brand new single-game showdown at DraftKings. It's the newest way to play one week fantasy football and drafting your team is faster than ever all you do is draft six players that's it four offensive two defensive obviously i'm all picking eagles players but you do you you can choose between public contests with big cash prizes or private contests where you can even just compete against a group of your friends so get to draftkings.com now and use promo code bgnr to play for free with your first deposit for your share of hundreds of thousands of dollars in total prizes this sunday for the big game that's promo code bgnr to compete for your share of hundreds of thousands of dollars in total prizes minimum five dollar deposit required eligibility restrictions apply see draftkings.com for details this episode of bgn radio is brought to you by clip it the hottest app that is out there watch tv make clips and share for more information check them out at clipit.tv or check them on twitter at clipit tv you're listening to bgn radio ryan with coleman to his left ryan rolls ryan pumps Ryan is throwing it up in the air. Incomplete! Incomplete! And Taylor for Jones. Incomplete! And the Eagles take over on downs with 58 seconds left. Oh, what's going on? Bleeding Green Nation. Holy cow. We are 
uh, less than a week away from the Super Bowl, and we are just going to keep it going and going. Welcome to BGN Radio, episode number 298. Uh, and if you're wondering, hey, John, didn't you guys just do 297 yesterday? Well, yes, uh, I don't want to have the, the Super Bowl show be 299, so we're going to make it 300. We don't play by the rules. We just kind of play by our own, and that's why uh, tonight is so special. It, it is uh, the Super Bowl week coverage is we're going to continue on, and uh, we appreciate everyone that uh, listens and subscribes and downloads, whether that's on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Satchel, or wherever you are listening to us uh, right this moment. Uh, we, uh, along with breaking down the kind of X's and O's on both sides of this Patriots team, this Eagles team, uh, obviously media day is going on tonight. We'll catch up with Brandon Lee Gouton at some point uh, tomorrow to get his takes on what is happening at the Mall of America and uh, see if he's had uh, any of that wonderful caribou coffee that they that they serve in there as well. We uh, should introduce, uh, first and foremost, and uh, you can't introduce this man without playing a little Toto, so that's what we're going to do right now. Uh, Ah, yes. Ladies and gentlemen from uh, Inside the Pylon and also uh, Bleacher Report, he uh, does a lot of great stuff, not only uh, for the Patriots, which you can find uh, his podcast at the uh, Locked On Patriots, and that is a daily, par- a daily podcast, isn't it, Mark? It is a daily podcast, my friend. It keeps me busy. Keeps me busy. <laughs> it's the uh, one and the only Mr. Mark Schofield who is uh, uh, graciously joining us. Who is? Uh, did you grow up a Patriots fan, Mark? I can't remember. I grew up a Patriots fan, born and raised in Waltham, Massachusetts, just outside Boston. The accent still gives it away. Despite <laughs> leaving the Boston area in, I kid you not, 1995, I have yet to shake it. It's just kind of my thing now. That, Toto, and Scrubs gifts, like those are my brands. <laughs> and uh, from BleedingGreenNation.com, who apparently does not drink any carbonated beverages, although tried a ginger ale for the first time in Mobile, Alabama, as he went down to the Senior Bowl, he uh, has as amazing breakdowns especially in the trenches and i like that he likes some iowa guys and i always saddle up next to him he's the one and the only mr benjamin so like how are you sir oh john i'm doing very well i wish i had uh the same you know fun little voice to bring that mark's bringing born and raised in boston but <laughs> there's nothing exciting about me in that way just an eastern pa boy who didn't grow up on scrapple and that's okay because uh scrapple all aside and drinks all aside uh this is Kind of an unexpected and semi-exciting matchup for, uh, you know, the the fellow New Englanders and everybody here in Philadelphia, Mark. What is it about the Patriots right now that everyone should be kind of scared of? Besides, we know what Tom Brady is. We know what Bill Belichick has obviously been brought uh, for the last couple of years. They've been uh, dominating the NFL for a long time, and that's, that's noted and that's definitely respected. What is it that this team does so well above anybody else in the AFC, and how did they get to the Super Bowl this year? Well, I think, John, it's just the hallmark of the Patriots over the, this run with Beatty and Bel- Belichick has just been consistency. You know, they each year they might have a down game at the start. They might have one bad game here and there, but they're just generally a good, consistent football team on both sides of the ball. And I think, you know, as we approach this Super Bowl, which I think is going to be a great game between two very well-matched teams, what's been interesting to watch the development of the, of the Patriots over the course of these, you know, 17 weeks of the regular season, two playoff games, is how this defense that starts out so poorly at the start of the year. They were carved up on open at night by Andy Reid, who did some great stuff schematically. They were giving up, you know, 300 yards a game and 30 points to, you know, Deshaun Watson, you know, my my youngest child. You know, they were carved <laughs> up by Cam Newton in a game as well. 
But down the stretch, they've been that bend but don't break defense. They've been a top five scoring defense. Now, all the yards, whatever, you can throw that out the window. The job of a defense is to keep you out of the end zone and keep points off the board. And they do that incredibly well. And that's what's gotten them to this point. We all know about Tom Brady. We all know about Rob Gronkowski, the different ways they can score points. But this defense and the way they've played recently, including cornerback Stephon Gilmore, that's been a huge mark of how they've gotten back to another Super Bowl. Yeah, it's been an amazing kind of uh, journey for them this year only because I I feel like the Belichick moves finally caught up to them at some point of just like, all right, I can do this and I can trade for Ely for a second rounder and I can cut him and then we can move on. But yeah, uh, Gilmore especially has been, uh, for lack of a better term, not great uh, this season. But the past past couple of weeks, just like you're saying, Mark, is and especially had a, uh, a large breakup uh, in, in the AFC Championship game. And that's something to certainly be said. Is there a guy that you can point to on this defense right now, Mark? I know there's McCourty and I know there's a, 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 a Butler and Guys that have been uh, playing together for a long time now, but is there a go-to guy now that, you know, they, they've lost Hightower, they don't have uh, a great pass rush? Who's the guy that, go makes, uh, that makes a play on that Patriots defense? I think that guy has been Trey Flowers, who's really sort of stepped up over the course of the year. Like you said, they lost Hightower, who basically at the end of last season was an edge rusher. He was no longer your what you expect Dante Hightower to be, your you know middle of the linebacker thumper type guy. He was an edge rusher. We all remember his strip sack of Matt Ryan, and you know at the end of Super Bowl Fifty One, there they lose him. They lose Rob Nakovich. You know it's a retirement. They draft Derek Rivers. He's out with an injury, so they're losing pass rush guys. Trey Flowers has been the one that's kind of stepped up he can win some one-on-one matchups against offensive linemen they can do some stuff schematically with some stunts and some twists up front you know him and adam butler who's a young guy that they like dietrich wise another rookie that they like they've got some young guys that are contributing up front and that pass rush has actually grown as well we've seen the growth along this defensive side of the ball throughout the season you mentioned gilmore this pass rush as well they've they've started to generate some pressure and that's going to be something big in this game if they can get the foals early and often uh benjamin you know we've i don't know if it's a narrative and i don't know if it's really true or not but i'm gonna stick with it because of past couple of days you've just been looking back at any time that this kansas city team has faced the patriots and mark even had mentioned you know schematically even even in game one you look at a lot of open doors there they were a lot of able to do a, a lot on the offense to kind of counteract what that patriots mm-hmm. defense was doing some people just kind of poo-pooed that away and said well this patriots defense isn't that great but just like mark is saying it's an opportunist type of defense so what do the eagles have to do is it is is this just as simple as hey let's let's get jay ajayi going let's let the offensive line get going and just see what happens after that or what's the best game plan for you for this eagles offense against that patriot defense best game plan is to stay multiplicitous which i think has been the strength of the philadelphia offense so far this year i mean you can find some things that you that are consistent that, that you like from game to game but often those things you know talking about uh running run pass options you know running a lot of things out of the same personnel moving personnel around those consistencies encourage a variety they encourage a multiplicitous offense what you want to avoid as any team facing a bill belichick team is do not be predictable do not be figured out you have to be able to play a lot of different things when we look at the way that doug peterson has coached these past two playoff games especially but this entire season talking about against dan quinn and mike zimmer two of the best defensive minds in the nfc you saw him do different things that he had done all season out of similar alignments out of similar structures he's constantly adding in wrinkles and he's staying unpredictable from game to game i mean if you put 
those two tapes up against each other against Atlanta and against Minnesota, nobody would think the same guy coached those two teams. Are you kidding me? Like, like the depth of target on passing attempts was like three times as big or something ridiculous. Mm. It was like two, but whatever. It was huge. <laughs> it was unprecedentedly large. Right. And so that's what I'm looking at. Obviously you're going to look at, at, at certain things that, that New England likes to do, you know, as far as guys getting Patrick Chung up, in the box and and the ability to run on him you're going to look at you know how you can get some of these uh these uh, defensive linemen who aren't necessarily the strength of the of the Patriots defense you're going to look to see how you can manipulate these guys with some quick motion so on and so forth but at the end of the day what what, what Doug Peterson has to do and, and what he's done consistently throughout the year is keep the, the the defense guessing keep the defense on the toes continue to have excellent situational play calling in the red zone you've got to stay unpredictable when you're facing the Patriots yeah uh you really do and that's kind of been the theme of their Super Bowl wins a lot of the time and I don't know if it's and Mark this is a good question to ask you again it's like where what is it when when guys come in come into this uh, Patriots team is it do you think there's the allure the the history that's all behind that it all seems to be really close games and granted most Super Bowl games are, are that way anyway but it just seems like there's a different switch late in games fourth quarter eight minutes left four minutes left whatever it is and the opposing coaches tend to outthink themselves is it is it that or is it just that Belichick and Brady are so good uh, that they will find the weakness by by that time, and they're always just in it until that final bell goes, as they showed us against the Falcons, obviously. I'm sure Charles McDonald is still not over that uh, even today, but sure. h- how do they keep winning? How do they keep doing that? I mean, I, I think it's almost a threefold approach that comes to that point. One, sort of the stress that they put on situational football, situational awareness, the little things that they practice, like, you know, the intentional safety that you might never use an entire season. Belichick will probably spend an entire practice session, entire special team session, multiple days during double teams, just practicing that just in case it comes up because you never know when a situation like that will come up. Drawing teams off sides, even on punts, we saw that play uh, so somewhat controversial, but also a pivotal role in that division round game against the Titans where they drew the Titans offside on a punt, gave them a first down, they were able to go down the field and score in that situation. So it's the stress on sort of those situational moments that matter so much, particularly when you are in close games in the playoffs. It's those little things that can add up. So there's that. The ability to sort of make halftime adjustments. That was huge last week or two weeks ago, I guess, against Jacksonville when they were getting carved up on crossing routes. They were running a lot of man coverage. Those crossers were killing them underneath. They switched to more zone looks to take those away. Little adjustments like that that you can make at halftime, those can sometimes make a big difference in a game. And to your point, John, the third thing is this. We've seen coaches kind of almost outthink themselves. Jacksonville did it yeah. just last week. They get the ball back right before halftime. They've got timeouts. They've got a minute. They've got a four-point lead. Stay aggressive in that situation. Look at the juxtaposition between what Doug Peterson did at the end of their NFC Championship mm-hmm. game where they get the ball back, three timeouts, just 29 seconds. They stay aggressive. They go screen, deep shot, screen, field goal. Meanwhile, Bortles, he takes a knee, and what happens? Which team wins? Which team loses? So I guess one of the questions I have about this game is, does Peterson stay aggressive, or does he do what other coaches have done against the Patriots, which is sometimes you get a lead, you think, I don't want to lose this game, and by playing not to lose, you end up losing. Benjamin, that's kind of like been a big thing that we've talked about for a long time, past couple of weeks here, especially when, you know, Sean McVay is getting into the mix, and there's coach of the year, and there's that, and you just don't... It's amazing how... 
the journey of Doug Peterson went from, oh, this guy's a carbon copy of Andy Reid to like, nah, he's really nothing like Andy. Stays aggressive. He does all that stuff. Just like Mark was saying, I don't think he's phased by this at all. I mean, if anything, there's been a, a, a ton of adversity that he's had to face already. And he just said, I don't care if Nick Foles is my quarterback. We're going to run a flea flicker. <laughs> We're going to throw it down the field. I don't expect him to do that in this game. I, I think that they're going to be ultra aggressive against the Patriots here, bud. Absolutely. I think they, they should be as well. And one of the things that, I, you know, I've been a big, big, big Doug Peterson coach of the year guy for a long, long time. And I was accused of, you know, uh, saying that Wentz was a system quarterback because I said that Doug Peterson's offense was good. Like, that's oh, where we were boy. at some point in the season. Right. Which obviously he is in. <laughs> Benjamin Solak now works at Football Outsiders. I'd like to point that out. No, I'm just kidding. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so. <laughs> so Doug Peterson and talking about this aggressiveness, I think one of the things that they were looking back at Peterson's history and there was a wonderful money, money quarterback piece on Peterson recently kind of about, uh, you know, who he was coming up as a player, coming up as a coach in the league. He's a very humble guy. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't, he didn't always have these big aspirations to be a Super Bowl head coach, but also I, I get the sense that he's very just unimpressed by people he's very unimpressed by by grand jury you know what i mean like this the, the, there's the brett Favre uh, aspect of this piece talking about how he, he was with Favre for 10 years you know he's been around guys who are excellent and guys who are who are esteemed and fantastic and you get the the, the sense that he doesn't you know, this doesn't get into his head a little bit. He's making this very distinct point that he is not coaching against Bill Belichick. He is coaching the Philadelphia Eagles. It's something that he's already done for 18 games this season. He is not, this is no different than any other game, which obviously it is. Obviously it's the Super Bowl. It's the last one. Yes, there's that nature to it, but he really doesn't care who's on the opposite sideline. Doug Peterson is going to coach Doug Peterson's game. That's something that's gotten him into trouble before. You know, it's something that's gotten, it put him in controversy. I remember against the Ravens in 2016, you know, when he went for two there at the end of the oh, game, instead of taking to overtime there were a few myself included who really didn't like that decision i would have loved to have seen philadelphia oh man that hold on you were one of those guys that kept that perpetuating for an entire week in a in a game that didn't matter oh, i'm very disappointed in you that's not the benjamin wanted, so like i know i wanted a young team to have a, a, a moral victory they could put their hands on and coming back against the ravens <laughs> and bringing it to overtime would have been that for me but either way it's water under the bridge the fact of the matter is peterson brought us here doing his thing i think he's going to continue to do his thing i i, I said it you know uh, um, but after the NFC Championship game right away, the best two head coaches in the league, in my opinion, are playing in the Super Bowl this week. And who would have thought that about, you know, in week 10 against the Cincinnati Bengals last year that, oh uh, that we'd, a lot of this fan base would be saying that. And that's kind of like the most impressive thing. And, Mark, I know you kind of broke this thing down uh, just yesterday, too, on uh, what is it about uh, Peterson and his offense that you've been, I guess, most in, impressed with in, in, your, in the little film room you've been doing there? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things you can point to. I mean, the way he stayed aggressive at the end of that first half, I loved the way that they attacked Harrison Smith with their game plan really stood out to me. You know, the, the second play of that quick little drive before halftime, you're thinking, you know, as a defensive player, oh, uh, you know, they might look to the get the ball to the sidelines. You know, they might try to get out of bounds, conserve time, conserve timeouts, whatever. So you have Zach Ertz sort of in the slot, Harrison Smith across from him. Harrison Smith against Zach Ertz, he sees an out route from Ertz, right? So he's thinking, oh, he's running the out route. He kind of bites mm -hmm. on it, but it's an out and out. 
And Foles drops it in perfect with perfect anticipation. It's just a brilliant sort of aggressive play call. Gets you that extra yardage. It ends up being a 36-yard gain. They run one more play and kick the field goal. So it's they did stuff against Harrison Smith, arguably the Vikings' best defender. You want to drop him in the box. You want to use him to sort of stop the run. Fine. We'll do RPO stuff. We'll do box counts. And if he's in the box, we'll throw outside. We'll throw a quick game. We'll get the ball away from him to try to take him out of the game. I love the way they sort of neutralized Harrison Smith, but still stayed aggressive and attacked him at times. I love the misdirection stuff they used. There was a play early in the, early in the game where everything looks like they're blocking to the right. Everything looks like Nick Foles is going to fake a handoff to JGIE and roll to the right. Everybody's flowing to the right, but they hand it off to him and he's running away from the blocking. But because of the way the linebackers and everybody up front is reading their keys, they see everybody flowing to one side. They follow it and they just run themselves out of the play. It's a little misdirection, things like that, to what Ben was talking about. You know, can you keep these Patriots front seven defenders on their toes. Can you get guys like Kyle Van Noy and Alandon Roberts to start mistrusting their eyes, mistrusting their keys, start to think before they react? When you do that as an offensive play caller, you get these guys on their heels, you create rushing lanes, you keep a passing lanes, you create the opportunities for big plays. That's what I've really loved breaking sort of what Peterson has done down in the playoffs and particularly mm-hmm. against the Vikings. Yeah, you know what kind of scares me too, Mark, is, and this is something that I'm very surprised that there's no real other NFL coaches that have really attacked it other than Ben McAdoo. And, you know, uh, when you're looking at Jim Schwartz's defense, and granted there's been some success against the Patriots and certainly against Belichick in in limited fashion, and you're trying to look for something here. Uh, Tom Brady loves to pick apart anybody. He doesn't care how it happens, if it's long, if it's short, whatever they're going to give to you. He's going to make sure he's going to get the ball into Amendola's hands or Cooks or whoever, especially Gronk, just like we were talking about. Is this finally the game that him and Belichick look and go, hey, I know exactly how to neutralize their pass rushes. Let's just slant the hell out of them. Let's do 4.5 yards per attempt and just paper cut them to death. 10, 11, 12, 13 play drives and just march down there until they change their mind. Is that something that you could see happening finally in the Super Bowl where it seems like it's a, a big exploitation of this Eagles defense? I think that's a great question, John. And I think if I'm Josh McDaniels, I've got a lot of hitch routes, smoke routes, and slant routes, the quick game stuff in the game plan, because you guys know as well as anybody, Jim Schwartz likes to play a lot of cover one, cover three, but it's off coverage looks, catch man looks, where these guys are given five, six yards of cushion pre-snap. If I'm Josh McDaniels, I'm telling Tom Brady, you see that, just throw the smoke route, throw a hitch route. One of the things the Patriots love to do is that sort of Hoss concept where you have outside receiver on a hitch, inside receiver on a seam route. What do you do? You have Cooks outside on the hitch, Gronkowski on the seam. You see the off coverage, you take it. If you sort of get press outside, maybe you get Gronkowski up the seam for a big play against a cover one or cover three look. So I think that's a great point, John. I think that's what New England's going to try to do and say, look, if you want to give us these throws, fine, we'll take them because we're probably not going to get you know four or five or six yards of pop if we try to run the ball on you guys. You have a great defensive front, one of the best run defenses, about the best run defense in the league right now. So we'll use the hitch routes, the smoke routes, the flat routes as an extension. We'll use that as our run game. We'll work the way down the ball downfield. And if you start coming up on these things, then we'll do some slants and goes and things like that that the Giants did, like McAdoo did, to sort of get you on your heels. I think that's the game plan for New England coming out. 
Benjamin, how do you, I mean, obviously I know why Schwartz does that. He wants them to make a mistake at some point. He has enough faith in his defense, whether it is the front four, the back end, the secondary, they're going to make a play at some point and you're either going to have three points on the board or you're punting it away. I understand the philosophy of that. Would you do the same thing against Tom Brady and, and the Patriots defensively here? I don't expect Schwartz to adjust that much as much as we're probably going to talk about it. Uh, what would you do against this Patriots offense? Yeah, I agree with you in the sense that I don't expect Schwartz to adjust his defense very much. He's just not that sort of a coordinator. And right, the reason that Philadelphia does this is like you alluded to, you know what I mean? He's going to want you to make a mistake. It also allows him to rush the way he wants to rush to allow his guys to really tee off on pass rushes because you, you you've got behind them you know a softer shell of a coverage you know and, and you're not as worried about them fitting their run fits as well now what we need to see from Philadelphia against this Patriots offense is tackling, right? And that's something that's been a little bit up and down as of late. Whenever you run this style of, of defense, it's very pressure centric and then a softer shell coverage behind it. It's not just about getting pressure. It's about getting pressure and then tackling, right? That's that. That's kind of the second key that's always forgotten. And so we, we, we need to be able to tackle well. And you want to allow your players to play downhill. One of the reasons why you see the Eagles get burned on so many slants and goes, but also get burned on them early, you know, in the first quarter, you know, I'm already Cooper Tavares King. These were first quarter reps that they got really eaten alive by these. Mm-hmm. It's because there's a very aggressive pregame mindset of we need to fly downhill and we need to tackle. So that's what that kind of comes from. Now you're at the point with with I think Brady and this offense and the way that it's it's set up that I think Philadelphia will prefer to let Brady get the ball out quickly and then hope to tackle, hope to get a pass breakup, hope to get them a little bit behind the sticks and then force Brady to stay in the pocket a little bit longer. I think if you try to run a bit more of a, of a bump style of defense, if you try to bring those corners up a little bit, you're putting your, your deep safety, as Mark said, a lot of cover one, cover three. That's a single high safety look. I'm worried about Rodney McLeod in the middle of the field against either Rob Gronkowski in the scene or with Brandon Cooks on the outside. Uh, that, that's not a great matchup for me either way. And so that concerns me a lot. If Philadelphia were to try to move those corners up and play more of a disruptive uh, sort of sort of a defense, now you'll have to do that if you're not getting consistent pressure. This is the sort of game, and this is the third week in a row we've said this, John. Where Fletcher Cox needs to take over, yeah, right. Yeah, he's, exactly. two, he's two for two. He's two for two. So there's yeah. no reason to be believing otherwise at this point. But what you need to see from this Philadelphia defensive line, and I think even as, especially when we get into that second team defensive line, because we know that'll be a, a theme. Because you've got to play a 60 minute game against the the Patriots, whether you're winning or whether you're losing we're talking about a guy in tom brady who has more fourth quarter comebacks in the playoffs than any other quarterback in the history of the world right you need to play a 60 minute game so you're gonna see a lot of that second team rotate in early i think for philadelphia so especially for those guys as well but then also the first team fletcher cox and brandon graham on the inside you need to be able to, to force pressure on Brady. Uh, even if, if Brady is so good at that short game, I want him to only have that option. I want to be him to be predictable in his offense and what he does. When the when the Patriots choose to go five-step drops and choose to go deep will be crucial, crucial reps. Because Philadelphia needs to be able to win those with pressure and disrupt Brady. Because if he's comfortable sitting back in the pocket, throwing in rhythm, drive after drive, he's going to slice you and dice you. And it doesn't matter how many points you've got. You know, if, they're, if Philadelphia is leading, when he gets in fourth quarter mode and he's been in rhythm for three quarters. Goodness me, watch out. That ain't a good situation for anybody. <laughs> yeah, it is. That is not fun. We've seen it uh, way too many times. Benjamin, let's stick with this for a second. Is just what's just the overall thing that scares you the most about this Patriots team? Uh, you know, is it Gronk? Is it just the the kind of the history that they have? Like, what's the what's the biggest thing that you're going like, man, I just, I just don't know. 
The easy answer is obviously the number 12 or Belichick or Gronk. Oh no, there are three easy answers. That's not great. Um, (laughs) But if we were to go a little bit of a different direction, obviously to try to give it a little bit deeper of analysis, I'm very worried about the multiplicity on this, this Patriots team and this Patriots scheme. You've got so many guys who can hurt you in so many different ways. Like, you know, if I were to ask 10 different people, you know, who's the running back that's going to hurt Philadelphia the most, I'd get 10 different answers. And they don't even have 10 backs on the roster, right? They're, They're doing so many different things with so many different people. And so what, what, what that versatility, you know, why that worries me so much is because Philadelphia isn't deep at the positions that respond well to that versatility. That's, you know, your Sam linebacker, you know, your, your strong safety. These guys who end up being kind of overhang defenders. They have both run and pass responsibilities. Philadelphia is a little bit weak there because of the injury to Jordan Hicks. Once Hicks gets injured, Philadelphia's in a lot of trouble now with their linebacking core, right? You have Ellerby on the field in three linebacker looks, but he's a limited player. He's a run defender. You don't want to have him on the field in passing situations. And so when you take him off the field, you got Bradham and Kendricks in there as your linebackers. You're moving Jenkins down to play linebacker, right? And Jenkins offers you a lot of versatility, but behind him, you're you're very, very limited. You might be bringing Corey Graham onto the field a lot, and you don't want to see Corey Graham as a safety on the field. He's a depth player. He's a veteran. He's not very you know, he's not the strongest player. You don't want to be seeing a lot of Najee good on passing downs. Everybody knows that's a bad situation. I don't think you will. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so if, if the Patriots are able to to operate a lot of the uh, the screen game, the screen game, if they're able to to utilize a lot of jet motion to help, you know, freeze some of these defensive ends on their pass rushes, if they're able to work some interior traps to even freeze the interior rush of Philadelphia. Right. And they get a lot of this misdirection game going. You can get yourself into a very tricky situation where those very aggressive linebackers for Philadelphia are biting at a lot of shadows. They're stepping down when they shouldn't be stepping down. And now, you know, the Patriots are going to hit you with with different tight ends. They're going to hit you with different backs in the passing game all of a sudden you don't know where it's coming at you from and the philadelphia defense does not have the versatility to hang with that so the philadelphia really needs to be able to impose their will on an offense that can do many many different things it's going to be a big 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 test for them mark let's stick with that for a second because they you know this eagles defense just it's 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 not great uh, in the middle linebacker position in fact so much so that they played nickel and dime uh, i think they were 93 or 94 percent of the time against the vikings sounds about right yeah and you're just going and you're like okay i guess there there's no point in playing base and granted that's kind of a thing that's been happening in the nfl for a long time now but what does that do for the patriots if they know like all right we don't have to worry about this and uh, what, what can what do they do, do they like to exploit anything in either one of those packages I mean, you know, when I look at sort of how this game might play out, you're talking about going up against those sub packages that the Eagles like to use. I I think what it sets up is sort of the same matchup that the Patriots faced last week, because you look at going up against Jacksonville and those two corners, Bouye and Ramsey, you're worried about those guys taking away Hogan and Cooks on the outside. You try to win the game on the inside. You try to win the game with Amendola. You try to win the game with Gronkowski. You try to win the game with the running backs, getting them involved in the pass game, James White, Deion Lewis. And what's interesting about the Patriots and how this season has played out is they've really sort of slow played Danny Amendola. They didn't use him a ton this year. They've really brought him on here down the stretch. And so, I'm looking to see, do they get Amendola as involved in the pass game as they have the past two weeks? Obviously, monster game against the Jacksonville Jaguars in the AFC Championship game, because that's what Brady needs. If he's going to get quick pressure, if he's going to get, you know, pressure in the interior, pressure off the edges from this 
four-man pass rush that can cause them some problems. He's going to look for that quick outlet, and it's going to be Amendola on those pivot routes, those option routes, those you know quick crossers that he likes to throw. And then it'll give him time to set up the deeper stuff, the seams and the deep crossers to Gronkowski. So that's the way they're going to look to attack this game. This is, again, going to be for the Patriots, a game where they try to win it, attacking sort of the middle of the field. They'll try to scheme some stuff with Hogan and Cooks. Maybe those hitch routes and smoke routes like we talked about. But that's where they're going to try to win this game, on the inside against those guys, much like they did against Jacksonville. I think we've, uh, for a long uh, part, Mark, where you've looked at Tom, you've looked at Bill, and certainly the ESPN article that was flowing out there, everybody kind of attacked that like uh, angry, hungry zombies. They're like, how dare ESPN bring all this different stuff up? And certainly this since, I don't know, is is Tom Brady's return against Buffalo after he tore his ACL. Is Tom Brady done? Has been asked so many times, and it's ridiculous. But uh, does it feel different this year for whatever reason does it feel like they are i mean they all of their egos align in the same kind of venn diagram at some point they all still want the same thing do do you think that this is kind of getting towards the end of just these guys being together as a group and and i I don't know because from the outside looking in i think everybody's already said like well if you're going to pick one patriot super bowl team to play against you're probably going to choose this one for probably a variety of different reasons it's their weakest defense yeah you know tom's 40 years old but he's still slinging it and doing a great job is it different in new england do they have that kind of sense that like yeah i I don't know or is it more just they're going to win anyway you know, what I thought was interesting, you know, being a Patriots fan, but yet being removed from New England. So I still have a little bit of an outside look at in type mentality to it. When that ESPN article came out, you got the sense that the pushback, which you alluded to, John, which is going to be there anyway. You know, a lot of Patriots fans still have resentment towards ESPN over Deflategate and Mortensen and the 11 out of 12 footballs were underinflated tweet that went out there that was never really connected. So there's still some resentment there. But the pushback was so fast and so so furious <laughs> that you get the sense that in the back of all of Patriots Nation's collective mind is, could this be it? You know, does is this is a story like this going to be the thing that sort of makes Belichick say, I'm done, I'm walking away? Or could there be truth to this? Because there's that fear that the end is coming. Because let's face it, in this documentary that's coming out, Tom versus Time, Father Time's undefeated. You know, Brady might take him the distance. He might take farther time, 12 rounds, but that 12th round is coming, friends. And when that day is comes, when Brady finally decides to walk away or we realize that the cliff that has been talked about, the cottage industry of trying to predict Brady's downfall, they're finally right. And that day comes. There's the potential that we're all, as Patriots fans, walk in the desert for decades because what we've had now, we're never going to duplicate. So I think there is that sort of fear that maybe it's not completely different, but who knows? This, there's the potential that this is the last hurrah. We don't like to think that, but it's still that little thing in the back of our mind, that sort of pebble in your shoe that's like, oh, th- this might be the one. This might be the last hurrah. So let's make sure that they get it done this time. Yeah, and I still certainly think no matter what happens, they'll they'll still be comfortable in uh, in the AFC. Well, I say that, and then everything changes in the NFL. Then I look right. like an idiot. But at the same time, like I, I still think they'll be there. But yeah, I don't know. I just have that sense that it's and and the fact that Wickersham freaking picked the Patriots anyway. So what is that telling me? Like he's, right. he's playing all these different games, and I hate it. In my head's like I'm gonna write this long thing, and I know that they're gonna win the Super Bowl, and uh, we'll just kind of write in and do that. Uh, guys, I'm having 
having a, a real fun time, and certainly we want to keep breaking this thing down uh, as well. Benjamin Solak, Mark Sch- uh, Schofield, who is, uh, they do phenomenal jobs. They're both a part of the Locked On Network. Uh, and uh, again, if you like uh, subscribing to the BGN Radio podcast, these guys uh, really know their stuff. Locked On Eagles, Locked On Patriots. Uh, and before we go any further, gentlemen, did you know that fantasy season is not over? And it's incredible that, that we're here. It's the Super Bowl. But DraftKings says, uh, no, thank you. We are still rocking and rolling. And that's why this weekend, uh, which is the last time that you'll be able to play at least uh, daily fantasy football, they have a new single game showdown. It's the newest pl- uh, the newest way to play Excuse me, fantasy football. And you can draft your team even faster than ever because all you really need to do is draft six players, four offensive, two defensive all from one game, and of course, as always, you can choose from public contests with big cash prizes or private contests where you can compete against a group of friends. Uh, DraftKings also has casual contests where you can play uh, people uh, against people of all similar skill levels. So just go to DraftKings.com right now. Use the promo code BGNR to play for free with your first deposit uh, and your share at a chance of hundreds of thousands of dollars in total prizes this Sunday for the big game. So you can be at the Fillmore, which is where we're going to be at. It's uh, about 2,000 people uh, with a huge big screen. VIP tickets are still available. Food buffets, beer, all of that. And you can have a chance to win a bunch of money because all I'm going to do is pick Eagles and not jinx this thing at all because <laughs> uh, that's how I'm going to roll uh, through there. And then once again, that's promo code BGNR to compete for hundreds of thousand dollars in total prices. Minimum $5 deposit, uh, deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply and see DraftKings.com for details. What's up, BGN? This is Stephen Lee from West Palm Beach, Florida. Check Checking in with my favorite memory from this season. You know, it was hard to narrow it down to one single moment, but the first thing that came to mind for me was the Panthers game. To that point, we had beaten Washington, New York, L.A., Arizona. But heading into Carolina, I feel like the masses still kind of viewed us as this cute, boutique type of team that rattled off a few wins. The Panthers game was a road game on national television against a team that everyone was starting to say was back in Super Bowl form. I felt like we dominated that game. It was hard-fought and scrappy, but let's be real, the refs were the primary reason they were in it as late as they were. One of my favorite players on the team is Nigel Bradham, and I kind of viewed that win as his remember my name game. Newton back, fires to McCaffrey, who makes the catch, and he stopped at the two. He is tackled on the far side of the field. Boy, he is hammered by Nigel. Nigel Bradham. And he does, listen, he sees where the football is going. He makes a beeline to McCaffrey, and McCaffrey is hit hard. That's, they may have to check him for a concussion because Nigel Bradham just runs through him. He was amazing. You know, Carson was masterful, and Doug's play-calling expertise was on full display for America to witness. I know there were more exciting moments and more significant games, but that's what stands out to me because it kind of made everybody believe in just how good this team was and could be, and look where we're at now. Thanks, as always, for taking my call. God bless. Uh, Benjamin, When when uh, I, I guess the craziness of this season has really got me thinking from an Eagles perspective on can Nick Foles replicate what he did against the Vikings one more time? Because I'm, I'm still thinking that in a way of like I don't – even the best Nick Foles supporter, the believer, I, you couldn't see that coming. So I'm not exactly sure – if I'm, I'm, uh, if that was his best game or not, but do you think that was Nick Foles' best game last week, and can he do it again? Uh, so yeah, that was by far Nick Foles' best game last week. Uh, that was better than seven touchdowns against Oakland. 
uh, you know, as far as a, a feel for pressure perspective, a deep ball perspective, just a, a release perspective, the everything perspective. That was the best game ever. I will tell you, uh, I, uh, my producers are letting me know that your odds of being struck by lightning twice uh, is uh, one in nine million. So, yeah, one in nine million <laughs> chance for Nick Foles uh, to put that out again. I'll put it to you this way. This is how I've been framing it for Eagles fans. Nick Foles' floor is pretty comfortably, in my opinion, what the Jaguars got out of Bortles last week. and Or, uh, yeah, last week while we are recording. And and they were in a position, as Mark alluded to earlier, to win that game. Now, the the, the asterisk there is no turnovers from Bortles. We'll, we'll definitely need a turnover-free game from Foles as well. But I think that you can expect, at least from Foles, the production that Jacksonville got out of Blake Bortles, which to me speaks to the fact that the Eagles can win this game with Nick Foles in the position. And, and, and another way to conceptualize that is right now the Patriots are 4.5 point favorites right and if we think about what this season would look like if Carson Wentz doesn't get injured against the Rams and they beat Oakland and they beat the Giants they're not going to be home dogs against Atlanta but let's say they beat Atlanta 15-10 they're not going to be home dogs against the Vikings but let's say they win 38-7 to what do we think the line is against the Patriots right because to me it's yeah. it's, it's probably still like Patriots you know by a, a point maybe it's a pick them so really you're not you're losing three four points with Nick Foles under center, according to Vegas. At this point, Philadelphia has ridden their defense, their running game, and their coaching so far that that the effect of Foles has been diminished. They're at this one game left, and any player can turn in one good game at any given time, right? So, yes, I've never ever wanted so much of my life and my esteem to ride on Nick Foles, the weird looking six foot five guy out of Arizona, but it does, John. That's my reality. I'm surrendering my life and my happiness to this person and we'll see what he does with it on Sunday. Plus the other Ben of uh, of the Bleeding Green Nation family, Ben Natan, tweeted out a picture today. Of, you know, he's rocking, looking like he's a an English student at NYU. Is that? Wow. wow. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, it's so weird because I'm looking at Doug Peterson at, at Media Day and by the way, congratulations to the Vikings Kings fans who continue to boo as Eagles players are up there. Seriously, guys, you're, you're soft and salty as hell, and you're from the Midwest, and stop with the passive aggressiveness. Just come out and yell at Zimmer, which is what we would all be doing right now if they ended up uh, getting blown out 38-7. to So you have Nick Foles with the with the nice setup there, and Doug Peterson is in full dad mode right now. He has got the polo, Jeez. the white t-shirt. It's tucked in. It's It, it, is, it is looking beautiful. Uh, and that's the other thing, and I, I want want to get uh, answers from both of you. Mark, I want to start with you. Do you think that the Eagles and the the I guess their their looseness and especially here in the city we're feeling it too. Everybody just kind of believes in this thing. With what Benjamin said, if Carson Wentz is still here and healthy, do you think there's an added pressure to this team that they might not have? If if it's Foles versus Wentz here, do you think that contributes a lot to what's happening during a playoff run? I think there's something to be said for that, John, because, you know, they've taken sort of on this this underdog mentality. And I thought it was really interesting. You know, we're doing this on Monday night with media night going on. Tom Brady was asked about that and he tried to sort of spit it and say, look, they were the number one seed in the NFC. They went 13 and three. You get to the Super Bowl. There's no real underdogs. So you could tell that there's sort of that uh, that mentality that, you know, they've taken on this mantle of underdogs. You know, we're not going to really let them ride that. But you can tell that it's it's made its way into sort of the national consciousness at this point. I mean, I just had 
you know, a birthday celebration for my mother-in-law who doesn't watch a ton of football, not really a football fan. And she was asking me about the dog masks. And so the <laughs> fact that she asked yeah. me about the dog masks, let me know, lets me know that like, this has become a national thing. And I think it does help, you know, you know, Ben makes a great point about the line and what it would be with Carson Wentz. I agree with her. I think it'd be a pick or maybe new England minus one. Then you're talking about basically a 50-50 game. Here, the the Eagles can come in a little bit loose, less expectations on them. You know, if, if they come out and they lose, like, what have they really lost? It's like they're playing with house money at this point. Whereas you're going up against New England, who are, you know, the dynasty. They're expected to win these games. There are expectations that they're supposed to get to Super Bowls and Brady's supposed to win games like this. So I think it helps, especially in an environment where it's the Super Bowl. Things are going to be different. Halftime is going to be 40 minutes or whatever. Everything's changed. You've yep. got that looseness to you. It allows you to play freer. And when it couples with a coach like Doug Peterson, teams take on the attitude and mentality of their head coach. And Peterson's looseness, yet aggression at times with his play calling, it just suits this team to a T. And, you know, I was aboard the sort of McVeigh coach of the year train, but I see Ben's point. I think it makes good argument. And the fact that you can see this team sort of coalesce around Peterson's mentality tells you a lot about him as a head coach. Yeah. And Benjamin, do you think kind of this, this, the same way there? Because like Corey Clement literally got to the Mall of America with everybody else, with Brandon Graham. And he's like, yeah, uh, we need to go buy an Xbox like within an hour. Uh, and I yeah. thought that was really awesome to see. And just even tonight. And we overanalyze everything, every little snot bubble that comes out, every booger that's picked, picked during this week, too, because we're all excited. We all wanted to get there. But seriously, I think it. I, I think the fact that Nick Foles and the injuries and the adversary is all here and, you know, the power rankings have given this team a, a different edge if Carson Wentz was still healthy in here. Yeah, absolutely it does. And, and what you need, you know – I'll put it to you this way. The narrative and what we've seen happen worked very well in conjunction in the sense that, you know, Wentz goes down and then Peterson has that one press conference where he kind of gets a little frustrated, a little flustered. I would say Dougie P gets flustered. And he said, listen, like when Wentz went down, I told the locker room, he's one player. We're a full team. We're going to go out. We're going to win a playoff game. Right. And then they go against Atlanta and they're barely able to beat them. Right. But it was enough. And then Johnson puts on the dog mask while he's walking off the field. And that really adds to the image of, listen, we, we were underdogs, but we knew we could do this. When you put the shellacking on Minnesota, like they did now, it's not just, Oh, we're underdogs. We can fight. We can be scrappy for four quarters and we can eke out a victory over a good team. No, we can take the best team the NFC had to offer and put them to sleep, right? Put them to sleep early and often. We can put them to sleep hard. And then you get the Patriots in the Super Bowl, right? I think that that's, that's the ideal opponent because there's no greater Goliath against which to put an underdog than the Brady, Belichick, New England Patriots going to their 18th Super Bowl in the past 12 years or whatever the stat is, right? Like that, th it could not be any better for Philadelphia in, in this narrative. So I think even if the, the storyline isn't like real, even if it's mostly just gassed up by the media, well, at this point, it's got a life of its own because you don't get any more Goliath than New England. And so if, if Philadelphia has been put into the David role this past postseason, well, they're there now, whether or not they want to be. And apparently they've been winning with it. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy to me. I think the way they've responded to injuries has been fantastic. And I think this is... It, you couldn't draw up a better culminating moment if you were writing the story yourself. Yeah, and I just think uh, going back to that too, 
we all kind of felt that coming on. Even in October, I had those feelings. When JHI got traded, Mark, I was flipping out. I was just I've like, seen the video. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the video. <laughs> I was yes. Like, I was like, that is it. That's what. That's a Super Bowl run. They wouldn't have done that otherwise. They totally believe in this team. They're going to the Super Bowl. Uh, and then obviously Wentz and everything happened. But if it was that built up, you know, there's Brady versus Wentz. The the narrative, at least to me, would be it's it's the changing of the guard game. It's Tom Brady. It's versus you know Wentz and like I think the 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 hype would be completely out of control because Marcus you know and and by the way just so everybody knows when we refer to draft Twitter it is the the whole collective of of things it's not really and we're, no I take that back it's really just two guys <laughs> we love the rest of the draft Twitter uh, they because you know they they are able to break some stuff down and plus we're going to talk about the senior bowl before these guys go too but yeah I I really do think it would be that there would just be so many different levels added on to this thing uh, in terms of what it's going on. And now that distractions is kind of kind of gone. And uh, it's unfortunate because we, we still I, I think there would be a, a ton more pressure in Philadelphia. And we'd be like trying to talk ourselves into into a bunch of uh, different stuff as we're moving along here. It's just so crazy can how the I, NFL season just works. Sort of say if it had played out with Wentz being in this game, you know, those shirts they get for like moms and dads where they have their two kids playing in the game where it's like half one team and half the other. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be I you, right? <laughs> one of those with Wentz and Brady, you know, it would have been like, what, what do I do here? You know? And yeah, that, that would have been a lot of the much, much different story. I think there would have been a little bit more pressure, the storyline of, you know, the changing of the guard and stuff like that. The way it sets up, I think it does help Philadelphia because there's that looseness that we've talked about. Yeah, and just so everybody, if you if you don't know, Mark was Mark's been on the Wednesday train long before I think even I was. He he saw a lot of the the uh, the same stuff there. And and speaking of of seeing things, guys, this is usually my favorite time of the year. And being an Eagles fan. You don't expect to be here, so uh, I, I've, I've, I'm so behind on tape. Senior Bowl is one of my like favorite things because it's the start of a lot of the names that you're starting to hear and pop up and some surprises, and uh, especially with what I assumed Benjamin was going to be a a loaded, stacked offensive line class is still that. Uh, but uh, what kind of what did you what was your biggest takeaway from the Senior Bowl? What was all the buzz down there, bud? No, I hear you, John, because you know. Uh, this it's been such a difficult time for me because I've got my foot very firmly in both camps and I there's so much content that I wish I could be making that I'm not making because I'm kind of I got a lot of balls up in the air right now but it was so much fun to be down there at the senior bowl and uh, spend a very good deal of time stalking Philadelphia Eagle scouts uh, very uncomfortably they definitely knew who I was by the end of it all uh, as far as the guys Philadelphia is looking at specifically they focus uh, a lot on tight ends I saw them speak with Troy from Magali the tight end out of Wisconsin Mike Kosicki big tight end out of Penn State who had a fantastic week really impressed with Mike Kosicki and then I also think they spoke to Durham Smythe at another game I wasn't positive I thought it was them they also uh Levi Wallace corner out of Alabama they talked to a linebacker out of Brown Dewey Jarvis then also uh two of the quarterbacks there they spoke to as well Kurt Benker out of Virginia and Kyle Laletta out of Richmond now I wouldn't be too concerned about that I would simply say that that alludes to the fact that Philadelphia is going to be very open to trading Nick Foles when this season is done as they rightfully should be because they can probably get a very good return on their capital uh, if they trade Nick Foles to a team that's looking to maybe muster up a, a starting quarterback competition but turning back you know to those tight ends obviously you've got Trey Burton leaving in free agency uh, you got Brent Selleck who's kind of approaching the twilight of his career he may be a cap casualty moving forward you know uh, speaking to a guy like Mike Kosicki he would cost the Eagles a pretty penny he would very likely yeah. have to be 
either that that pick at 32. Yes, I said 32 or uh, the, the trade down it later into round two in the event they do that. But it would cost that early pick. Gesicki came in a lot of questions about his athleticism. You know, he seemed to be just kind of a jump ball specialist with a, a pedestrian speed, pedestrian quickness. But his weigh in was absolutely fantastic. He had a, a really great frame on him. You know, uh, he was accused by a few of having a dad bod before he walked out, but he was chiseled. <laughs> he had a great distribution of weight and then looked incredibly fluid in the movement drills. Nice flexibility in the hips. Excellent work, as we saw on tape, addressing the ball in the air. Gesicki, however, is not the blocker that Philadelphia would need without Selleck there anymore. You know, Ertz is never going to give you much in the blocking ways. Neither is Gesicki. So I think Troy Fumagalli is the guy. He probably be more so that that early fourth round pick that Philadelphia would have to spend. But out of Wisconsin, he's a very, very consistent blocker. Wisconsin obviously plays a very physical brand of football. And Fumagalli, a decent receiver with good hands, doesn't drop it a lot. He does give me a few Brent Selicky vibes in that sort of a way. So I really like the fact that they were speaking to the tight end class. That's a lot of what I saw to Philadelphia. Uh, also, uh, I got very aesthetic that they were uh, talking to Akram Wadley from the University of Iowa and uh, uh, John, I'm here to tell you he's not very good at writing. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. They listen. He's a, he'd be a nice uh, later round pick. I'm I'm like he's nothing special. I I get it, but uh, I got the Homer glasses on, and uh, yeah, everybody killed him during the the Senior Bowl. But Mark, Mark, what was uh, what was your biggest takeaway uh, uh, down there, my friend? Well, I mean, I, I'm coming into this, you know, sort of what Ben alluded to, wearing two different hats. I'm trying to be down there and get a whiff of anything that the Patriots are doing. And they're so notoriously tight lipped about even meeting with players. And I'll tell you this, look, the Patriots have been known to take guys off their draft board. If it leaks that they've met with them during the pre-draft process, that's wow. how tight lipped they are about this. And I, I've known on a number of different occasions, players that it's happened to players that I liked players that I wanted to see be Patriots get taken off their draft board. Now, so it's really do, hold on. Oh, do you have any theories of why they would do that? Like what if it's a, a player that completely fits their scheme and their system? Like, Oh, sorry, it's out. Take them off the board. We're not going to pick them. Belichick has his methods and his that's madness. So and can't be predictable, John. Can't be. <laughs> that's so fucking weird. I'm sorry, that's here's, weird. Here's, see, see, John. Here's here's how it plays out because you don't want to bring in the guy that's going to be a little, you know, loose lips with the media, and then he's going to tell everybody how many stitches Tom Brady has on Wednesday <laughs> of the week of leading up to the AFC Championship game. We can't have that uh, loose lips sink ships and sink dynasties, John. We can't let that happen. So the scouts Obviously, literally go up to him with like a knife and is like, "Listen, asshole, if you say anything to." Anybody that we met I'll with you, you. you know, <laughs> snitches get stitches kind yeah. of thing up in Foxborough. Boy, here, but oh boy. Yeah. So it's a little tight. So I, I was kind of looking at it as some players that might fit sort of what the Patriots might need. Kazir White, the free the safety from West Virginia. I think he was an he was an interesting guy to look at from a Patriots perspective because they do a lot of three safety stuff. They've got Devin McCourty who's getting up there in years. White's more of a down in the box safety. I like some of what he did underneath coverage, spot zone type situations. Had an interception of Tanner Lee, but I think Benjamin and I were the only two people down there who did not have an interception of Tanner Lee yeah. this week. Lee had a bit of a rough week. Now, I look at Isaiah Wynn, the offensive guard convert, University of Georgia, played left tackle for them. He kicked inside for this week. Liked a lot of what he did, one-on-one -on -one drill situations, matched up against Deshaun Hand, the defensive edge player from the University of Alabama, another SEC guy, but he was able to handle him in one-on-one -on -one drills on a number of situations. So I liked what Wynn did. He's a guy, I think, given his positional flexibility, makes some sense for the Patriots this draft class. But then again, John, I'm down there watching the quarterbacks. Obviously, the big storyline, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, 
I think people probably know where I stand on Josh Allen. It's a will versus should type debate. Will he go in the top five? Yeah. Should he? I don't think so. I'm much more comfortable Josh Allen falling to the later part of the first round where you can get a team that doesn't need a quarterback right away that can take him and, you know, maybe develop him a bit. Maybe a Pittsburgh Steelers, maybe a, you know, a Chargers, maybe, shall we say, even the New England Patriots. Maybe Mm. that would be a spot for him. But again, it's a will versus should thing, and I think he still ends up going early. I was impressed by Baker Mayfield, loved what he did. The thing about Baker Mayfield that really stood out, and I'm sure Ben saw this too, when you're throwing these one-on-one drills and you know, oh, I've got a guy on the outside throwing a post route, sometimes as a quarterback you get lazy. You just watch the post route and you throw it. Not Baker. He's out there looking off imaginary safeties, looking off underneath coverage that doesn't even exist because he's one of those guys that plays like you practice, right? And Baker was doing that all week long. And it's just little things like that that make me think, I don't care. When the lights come on, he's going to be great. And that's what I want to end with. Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, they struggled the first practice on Tuesday. But when they get to team doing the 11-on-11, the two best throws of the day, Baker Mayfield, lights come on, 11-on-11, that guy's a gamer. Oh, for for sure. And just the fact that, because I know even before – you went down there, and we had talked a little bit about it on Twitter where you're just like, wow, that's pretty awesome that Baker Makefield is going to the Senior Bowl at all. Uh, I didn't think he really needed to do that, especially with the playoff performance he had, even though it was in a loss. The fact that all the stuff that he said leading up to it, too, uh, and the, the guy that you know, got caught with his pants, I don't even know who that guy was. But I was like, well, here comes oh, Baker Mayfield right. showing up late. And it's, it's like, dude, I was taking care of my mom. Uh, you know, yeah. sit there and relax. But just to, to see all that, getting all the quotes from him, uh, I don't know why you wouldn't take Baker Mayfield at any – like, he's a first-round guy to me. I, I don't I don't really care that, you know, the, the t- t- we've, we've had shortness debates forever about quarterbacks. And uh, Ben didn't even, even say something about that. It's just like, I can't see over a 6'5 left tackle. It's about anticipation, knowing the film work is. And if I see a guy who's open, I know I'm already late, and that's why you have to anticipate things in this league and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, to me, like, how do you not go oh, – Okay, let's sign that guy up. I can work with that guy. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So in the uh, Robert Klebko piece at the Senior Bowl, you know, he May- Mayfield's got a six-eight offensive tackle by Orlando Brown, and he says he says Look, nobody sees over the six-eight tackle. Not Josh Allen. Not Rosen. Darnold can't see over that guy. You're seeing concepts. And you're understanding timing. If you see the guy open, you're late. You have to anticipate it, right? And that's one of Baker's greatest strengths is his ability to anticipate. Yeah. Uh, as far as you know, Baker Mayfield coming down there, what he had to prove, and all of that stuff. You know, uh, and when it comes to his height as well. His height affects his ball placement. We don't have to ignore that. Like Baker is short, and so he has to go up on his tiptoes to make some throws, and he has to adjust his release point higher to make some throws, and the ball will come out high because of it on some throws. The thing is, he's still also very good. Like these, like being short and being bad are not the same thing. You know, he works his offense very, very well and is also short. Like, let's move on. So does Drew Brees. It's okay, guys. <laughs> yeah. Right. Baker had an insanely impressive week when he he came out, you know, because he's a gamer, because as Mark alluded to, he practices like he plays. He wanted to practice another week of football. He like he strikes me as the guy who like wants to go play football in front of people who understand football because he wants to show them how good he is at football because he's Baker. That's what he does. Right. Like, and, and, and he, he has that that intentionality to him, you know, that that intensity. It's very, very attractive the way that he ran practices, motivated all of his players. It was so, so, so excellent to watch. Now, you know, on 
on the flip side, when you look at a guy like like Josh Allen and Mark alluded to seeing him kind of at the back end of the first round, Allen was a guy who went out there and he while he performed better than I thought he would. If you were a Allen's fan, you liked his game in Mobile, and if you weren't his fan, you didn't. You know, because yeah. it was what it always is. Allen is the definition of a high variance player, and it's insanely frustrating and and i want nothing more than to take that kid and tie him to a coach who knows how to suss out the good stuff i certainly don't you know i've not spent time developing young quarterbacks or anything like that but you know uh, a guy like john filippo you know john obviously as eagle fans we're very familiar with the work that he's done with a lot of young quarterbacks across the league he's a very hot bun offensive coordinator candidate across the league he got, he got head coaching interviews for god's sakes he's the sort of guy you want to tie to a josh allen because the peaks are just oh so pretty in that way allen got better throughout the week he grew more confident. He grew more loose. As the process goes on, I think he's going to become more and more attractive to teams because he's going to be less and less, you know, kind of starstruck and wide-eyed by the whole process. Listen, you know, looking forward to the top end of the draft, uh, I think we could see Allen go at number two uh, to the Giants. And and I know that oh for God. Eagle fans, big old smiles when they hear that, right? But if you look uh. at the way, if you look at the way that, that that if you look at the situation in which the Giants will likely be, I think you very much expect Sam Darnold to go number one to the Browns, which leaves the Giants with two very good quarterbacks who are both commonly perceived as a-holes in Josh Rosen and Baker Mayfield. And the New York media, that's not a great place to put a guy who's very brash uh, like Baker Mayfield or put a guy who's very opinionated like Josh Rosen. You have to make sure you're really comfortable with that before you draft them. That's going to be something that Dave Gettleman in that front office is very aware of. And let's say they're turned off by both of those guys. Well, guess what? The next top quarterback up received Cam Newton. Cobbs Gettleman played with Newton in Carolina. For a long time with a lot of success, right? And so I think that Allen, Wyoming kid, you know, big old cheerful sort of a dude, you know, he's not going to turn anybody the wrong way in New York. Yeah, Josh Allen might be the pick at two, John. And, and you know, maybe they leave Eli in there as a bridge, try to have Eli help him out as he develops. Maybe they, they you know, foolishly kind of stick him in early. We know that, you know, the Eagles weren't afraid to say Wentz isn't our starter when they drafted him second overall. But then all of a sudden you get a good offer for Sam Bradford, and here we go. You know, so maybe the Giants do have the gumption to kind of sit there, their number two overall pick, and let him learn. I think that would be great for Allen. I think that, that learning behind Eli Manning, who's a very uh, heady quarterback, would be a good situation as well. But, yeah, we can see Josh Allen in big blue as early as 28 uh, as 2018 season. <laughs> Jesus. Josh Allen and Pat Shermer in the same place. I feel like the gods are smiling on me right now. I just can't like I please please make that happen. I will say, okay. Mark, I've had a little itch and a feeling way way long before this. Saquon Barkley I kind of thought he might be going to the Giants just because the Gettleman thing, and he, he at least it was obsessed with running backs at one point in his GM career. What was the vibe down there with running backs? And because again, I don't, I it's early for me because I'm way behind here, but I don't, I still don't think this class is as special. But there's still a lot of good players, you know, from from last year comparing uh, the two classes here. What is the vibe you guys got uh, with the running backs and where they might end up going here? You know, John, it's it's interesting because I think we're still seeing that sort of push-pull right now between do you take a running back early or not? And you sort of look at, you know, the fourth pick in the last two drafts, okay? You look at the Dallas Cowboys, they draft Ezekiel Elliott, but you're always going to have that, man, how great would that defense have been if they, you know, drafted Jalen Ramsey? Then this year, you know, obviously the Jaguars, they get to the AFC Championship game. Fournette had kind of an up and down year. He had some good games. He had some bad games. How much better would that team have been if they had made a different addition? What if they had gone quarterback? What if they had done, you know, what if that offense had Deshaun Watson? 
you know, so do you really want to go early on a running back? And that's still sort of the push pull. And, you know, when you're down there and you're talking to different people, that is, again, the sort of thinking about it is this. Look, Saquon Barkley, you know, he, he's a good player. He can be a playmaker type in the kick return game. You can do some stuff with him. He's a three down back, I think, he because he's good in pass protection like some other running backs in this class. He's certainly effective in the screen game. But given the sort of short lifespan, the short life expectancy you have at running backs, do you want to play a p- premium price for that? Or do you want to get guys that will have more longevity to their careers? That's the push-pull, and I think – you know, uh, as good as Ezekiel Elliott has been, as good as Fournette flashed at times, we're going to see running backs still be sort of undervalued because of the mm-hmm. basically economics behind it. Yeah, uh, and I, I yeah, we're always kind of back and forth. I think on on every every single year about this too with the the running back debate. If you don't have a quarterback, like don't uh, don't draft a running back early. Uh, right. But uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Benjamin, what's your, what was your vibe uh, down there, bud? As far as you know, Saquon Barkley, where he goes? Just the running backs in general, just kind of like where where everybody's kind of head is at. Yeah, not not psyched about the running back class down there in Mobile, which is a shame. You know, Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle, the two kids out of Georgia, had an opportunity to go. Uh, both denied their invitations. That would have really helped out the class. Running back, obviously, you know, at the Senior Bowl, you don't get a lot of of stellar talent usually because. Uh, you want to leave college a little bit earlier uh, because you don't want that mileage on your legs. Right? That's 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 very unattractive for a running back prospect. Rashad Penny out of San Diego State is the best halfback you've got there from a pure running perspective. But a lot of the drills that you see uh, at, at, at Mobile are one-on-one pass catching drills and one-on-one pass protection drills. So you really don't have an opportunity to show off your natural feel and your vision and your ability to explode through a hole. That just doesn't happen as much, right? And, and that's where Penny is weak. Uh, Penny is, is is a decent route runner because he's got good explosiveness, but he doesn't have natural hands. He didn't catch the ball a lot there at San Diego State. And then not pass protection, he just wasn't involved with the Aztecs at all. And, and for a guy who's 220 and he's got a good frame for pass protection, he just can't – he's got – Nothing. Head down, you know, lunging, not bringing his feet with him, not sending his hips, just not, nothing pretty as far as that. So that's a long-term project. You should still draft Rashad Penny at a good spot. He's still definitely in that thick of day two running backs that always, you know, kind of a, that, that big mass of, of great college runners that always just forms every year. But you really have to be aware of his limitations. Obviously, you spoke of Akram Wadley out of Iowa. You know, he they really struggled at the weigh-in, and then nothing got better since then, John, I'm afraid, just in the sense that he came in light, and he's you know not going to give you much from a power perspective. He doesn't have great balance either, so he goes down too early at first contact. I was more, most impressed with Jalen Samuels. So this kid out of NC State played every position. He saw 60% of his snaps out of the slot, right? We're talking like a halfback, you know, tight end, fullback sort of a dude, just the ultimate Swiss army knife. A lot of people have likened his usage to that of Aaron Hernandez, you know, and Mark's familiar with how the the Patriots used Hernandez when he was there, when he was a Pat. Samuels was brought on as a pure running back uh, at at Alabama, which I thought was going to be disadvantageous for him, but he's such an athlete that he was just causing problems no matter what was going on. He's a fantastic route runner. He has enough you know, to, to burst, to run some inside zone, outside zone. So he can give you some Ty Montgomery usage. It's going to be very interesting to see how highly he's valued and how he's deployed. You know, that that's the sort of a guy that, you know, as Darren Sproles sees the end of his career, obviously you want to know Pumphrey to take that spot. But if you got an offense like Philadelphia's, Jalen Samuels is so much fun. Well, we'll be looking forward to that, and especially just kind of how the the rest of this process goes out, and get to the uh, get the use to these guys' voices, man. Because uh, 
think we're going to be asking him back a long time after everything kind of settles down here after the Super Bowl and uh, we'll roll uh, right along because I just said, hey guys, you want to just talk for like 30 minutes and it's ended up being over an hour and uh, that's, uh, that is that is time to let these gentlemen go and do their thing. I, uh, I will add this though as it's getting circulated now. Uh, Ed Warner. <laughs> oh, I just saw that. <laughs> uh, Ed Warner sitting down with uh, LeGarrette Blunt and he goes, he tweets this out with a picture of himself. Just uh, finished a com- uh, uh, compelling interview with Eagles running back LeGarrette Blunt. His po- 10 postseason t- touchdowns are seventh most in NFL history. Six Hall of Famers and then Blunt. Calls Jay Ajayi his, quote, dog, meaning good friend. <laughs> oh, oh, Ed, Eddie. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and now he's getting ridiculed because I see nothing but replies saying that is the is the whitest sentence of all time, and I uh, I can't disagree. So uh, it's going to be a fun media week. Uh, Mark, Benjamin, any closing thoughts here as we're rolling out? Mark, we'll start with you. Well, I mean, let me just leave, since this is for Bleeding Green Nation, I want to leave the Eagles fans out there with my two nightmare scenarios as the host of the Locked On Patriots podcast as well as a Patriots fan on the offensive side of the ball for the Eagles. Confident Nick Foles. We saw it last week. The play that scared me the most was the long touchdown to Alshon Jeffrey because you see a confident Nick Foles determined and fight it in the pocket. Defenders in the secondary think there's going to be a sack. They ease up for a split second. Jeffrey takes off vertically. Easy throw. Easy touchdown. That's the sort of nightmare scenario when the Eagles have the ball. You have that confident Nick Foles making a play like that early to sort of swing the momentum early in this game. Uh The Patriots have the football. (laughs) <laughs> My fear is this. Third and long situations, they slide, slide Brandon Graham down inside. He's matched up with left guard Joe Thune. That's a matchup I think the Eagles can exploit. If the Patriots face a lot of third and longs in this game, the Eagles are going to win this one. How about that? See, the, I'm just he, saying. He did, he did give you a nice little treat there. I had to qualify it, but I'm just saying <laughs> that's what's to watch for. Uh, that is uh, Mark Schofield. You can uh, follow him on the Twitter.com with the same name. And again, InsideThePylon.com. Uh, also, Locked on Patriots for if you want to check. I mean, it's a fantastic podcast. If you want to know what's going on all week on the Patriots side, Mark's going to break it down for you. Benjamin, your final thoughts, sir. Yeah, uh, same thing, Bleeding Green Nations. So let's talk about what makes things pretty. Mark already alluded to it as far as the Eagles defense on the field. It's all about third and long, which means you're going to have to win the early downs, of course. I don't expect the Patriots to do much in the way of let's establish the run. You have Tom Brady. Stop being stupid. Establish the pass. But when they're in those third <laughs> third and long situations, yeah, like we said, Fletch Cross got to take over the game. That's pretty easy, the bread and butter. The, the aspect to this game that doesn't get talked about a lot is the flip side because obviously the Philadelphia defense is the driving force of the team through the playoffs and the Patriots offense is always the driving force of the team but when we have the Eagle offense on the field against the Patriots defense, Philly's in a really good spot because the, the personnel with which the, the Patriots struggle the most is 11 personnel and the personnel through which Philadelphia runs their primary offense is 11 personnel and so what you really need to see from Philadelphia is a lot of I think offensively, uh, a lot of their bread and butter stuff early, run a lot of RPOs, get Jay Ajayi rolling, run you know uh, 11 personnel just with Zach Earth down get Nelson Aguilar moving outside of the slot Philadelphia can run their basic offense against the Patriots, it's about not getting 
predictable, like I said. But the, those numbers against 11 personnel in that film is really, really interesting. So that's what I'm looking forward to as far as that Eagle offense against the Pats defense. And John, just, you know, thanks for having me on, dog. That that means good friend, by the way. So really <laughs> that's great. Thank you for clarifying again, Benjamin Solak, at to Benjamin Solak on the Twitter.com. Bleeding Green Nation, so you can keep that locked uh, right there. And if you need uh, even more Eagles content, at Locked On Eagles for the Locked On Eagles podcast. Also does some some fine work over at uh, NDTS Scouting as well. And uh, please uh, force Benjamin to drink uh, drink carbonated beverages. That's that's going to be yeah. my final thoughts as we're we're rolling through here, guys. It's been a a fantastic week, and it's going to keep right on rolling here on BleedingGreenNation.com, BGNRadio.com. If you are listening to this just in time, and it's before lunchtime. You can come meet me and Sean Brace in Sicklerville, New Jersey at the Primo's Hoagies because we will be doing a live impromptu uh, podcast on Facebook Live uh, from there from noon to two. So be tuning in for that. For Mark, for Benjamin, I am John Barchard. This has been BGN Radio number 298 right here on BleedingGreenNation.com and BGNRadio.com. We'll see you guys. Stretch your hand and I'm going to chop it off. I dare you ask for a favor from your boss's boss. Shrimp, scampi, angel head noodles, white wine sauce. Rwanda and a Ross, reload the Nina Ross. Settle metal when I'm focused on the green Dinero. Hocus Pocus, Gucci Lopez, cake with bacon soda. Cake for soldiers, move away from Maine to Nova Scotia. Bang revolvers, problem solvers, that and pain the mothers. Lost a child, clips from play when they hear the loud. Nightmares, walking dead, cause they sleep again. You either sheep or shed, be scared and cut the Custom coops with the honey mustard features. Butterfly doors are hoarded, makes wine or sober. A beauty stunning, plus she funny, that's the proper order.